Hello, and welcome to Probable Causation, a show about law, economics, and crime. I'm your host, Jennifer Doliak. I'm an academic economist and the executive vice president of criminal justice at Arnold Ventures. My guest this week is Zinming Du. Zinming is an assistant professor of economics at the National University of Singapore. Zinming, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Jen. I should say up front that everything we say today represents our own views and not necessarily those of our employers. With that out of the way, we can dive in. Today, we're going to talk about your research on how social media affects real-world violence. But before we get into that, could you tell us about your research expertise and how you became interested in this topic? Sure. Uh, so I am an applied economist working on environmental econ, health, and digital platforms. So my primary field is actually environmental economics. I study how uh, environmental stressors like pollution how that affects social economic outcomes, including crime, people's aggressive behaviors in general, and also online hate speech. So that is my main areas of specialty. And how I uh, became interested in uh, this topic and started to write this paper, I think the main motivation is that we see people are more aggressive over time. So if we see the public discourse like open statements or communication between people, it is increasingly more extreme and polarized over the, the past decades. So uh, at the same time, another uh, a striking trend going on in the world is the social media revolution. So we see social media is increasingly important or even more important for people to get information share their opinions towards policies and also engage with others. So these two trends, the increasingly uh, polarized uh, underlying sentiment and also the social media revolution take place together. So if we see more uh, harmful content on social media, it is not surprising because social media content is just a manifestation of this underlying uh, polarization trend. But that social media itself have some impact and contribute uh, causally to additional polarization or extremism. So this question, if we see the literature, we have very limited causal evidence on this question, but it is very important. And also uh, the public and policymakers are very interested in this question. So therefore I uh, started to write this paper to study the real world crime effect of social media aggressive speech. Your paper is titled Symptom or, or Culprit, Social Media, Air Pollution and Violence. And first of all, I mean, I just love this paper. It's big and ambitious and super clever. Uh, and there are a lot of different pieces in it that different people will be excited about. And as you said, the big motivating question that brings it all together is whether and how much social media content affects real world behavior. So this is not only an interesting research question, but a big policy issue. So set the stage for us a bit more. What are people worried about when it comes to social media's effects? And how have policymakers and private firms been responding to these concerns? Sure. So uh, social media effects are uh, multi-sided. Of course, it generates some positive effects like uh, emotion support or easier coordination. But we know it also has a lot of uh, negative effects. And focusing on the negative side, we know there are some violent groups or even uh, tourist groups. They use uh, social media to recruit members and send propagandas. 
Also, uh, there are some recent papers about the election results. They are affected by some foreign countries' trolling activities. So social media also affect the political outcomes. So in my paper, I study one aspect of the uh, negative effects of social media. That is the uh, general public's aggressive speech online. Policymakers and also private firms, these social media platform operators, they have made some efforts, invested monies to, to regulate this aggressive speech. So for example, the European Commission requires these private social media companies to uh, regularly report their efforts how to reduce this online hate speech. And focusing on the, uh, the private firms, uh, one important policy is to flag the sensitive and suspicious content. So if we use Twitter, we sometimes see a warning, this tweet may include offensive content. So this is one kind of policy to make the public know there are some uh, potential sensitive and suspicious content. Another uh, policy is also about the post content. So if one account usually posts a lot of sensitive content, it is likely to be blocked. So it is about the account regulation. So for those suspicious accounts, it will be blocked and removed from the platforms. Apart from this uh, quality or content control, there are also some quantity controls on social media, like penalizing the spamming account. So if one account posts too many messages per day, there will be some audience penalization. So to make it simpler, so the first tweet we write every day will receive a bigger uh, audience than the 50th tweets we write every day. So this uh, quantity control is sometimes targeted for those vulnerable groups like younger people that are more uh, sensitive to these inflammatory content. So these are the the current policies that are used by uh, private firms and policymakers to regulate this uh, online content. Okay. And we know all, yeah, all of those, those policies are somewhat controversial and anyone who spends time on Twitter knows that they also don't get rid of the problem. So, (laughs) so it's definitely still a big policy issue. So what have we previously known about the causal effects of social media content? Right. So uh, the short answer is the evidence is quite limited. There are a lot of correlation-based papers without well-designed identification strategy. But focusing on the causal effect, I find there are three uh, important economics papers that show the causal effect of social media content. So one paper is about the emotion effect of social media content. So it is an experiment paper. The researchers, they manually deleted happy posts on Facebook and they find other Facebook users are more likely to write unhappy content. So in this way, the paper uh, concludes that this social media emotion or the emotion contagion could be spread via these uh, social media networks. So that's one important paper about the emotion effect. Another paper focused on the protest effect. So the researchers find a Russian dominant social media platform called the VT. It caused more protest participation. So they find this VT adoption 
instrumented by this VT Founders Alumni Network, it can uh, increase this event participation. But the mechanism is more about the communication coordination among these participants. So they can talk to each other on this social media platform. So it is easy to, to participate in the event. So it is more about the coordination function of social media rather than its open post content or quality. And the third paper I find really important and interesting is actually written by my colleague at the NUS, Kasten Muller and co-authors. So they find that social media can cause some crimes in Germany. So they use some Facebook uh, shutdown or the electricity outage event that sharply decreased the number of Facebook posts. And they find following that event, there are fewer crimes in Germany. So in that way, they attribute this decrease in crime to the decrease in Facebook posts. But it is more about the quantity of this uh, social media post rather than quality. So I find these three papers uh, were very important. So they contribute to our understanding of the causal effect of social media content. Okay. So three very interesting papers, but given the importance of this policy issue, that's not very many. So, so why don't we know more than we do? What makes this so difficult to study? Is the hurdle here mostly not having the right data or is it mostly a, an identification challenge on the, the causal inference side? What's the main challenge here in your view? I think both sides are challenging the data and the identification. Well, data is easier thanks to some open API from social media platforms. So data is less a problem in recent years, but identification strategy or uh, to, to identify the causal effect of social media content is very challenging. So to think it in this way, so ideally we have an experiment. So two groups of people, they have a very similar characteristics. So one group exposed to normal social media content and another group is exposed to some aggressive content. And we compare these two groups' outcomes like crime effects or other outcomes in the real world. So if we do this experiment, we need to carefully design a treatment without any ethical concerns. We also need to track these two participants, two groups of participants' behaviors outside the lab after the treatment, which also has some privacy concerns because we need to track their activities outside the lab. Also, the experiment study may have insufficient power because it is limited within the lab participants and also some external validity concerns because the finding may not be generalizable to the, to the general public. So taking all this together, an experiment study is not that feasible to study this question, the impact of social media content on real-world outcomes. So instead, we would like to use a natural experiment or observational study or to find an instrument for social media content. So from the econometrics textbook, we need an instrument that at least satisfy three features. We can call it a valid instrument. So uh, first, this instrument should have some relevance to social media content. So it should significantly affect these online behaviors. Second, the instrument should be unexpected and exogenous. Otherwise, 
the online users, uh, if it is not exogenous, the online users will adjust to this harmful online environment. And it is statistically challenging to remove this trend out of the effect of interest. And the third feature of this instrument is it should exclusively affect the online aggression without directly affect crime or other channels that may also affect crime. So ideally, we should have some like spatial difference between the online driver and offline outcomes. So these three features, relevance, exogeneity, and exclusive restriction are needed to find this instrument, which is very challenging to, to find. And it gives us a, a big challenge to provide a causal answer to study the, the real, real world effect of social media content. Okay, big challenge, but uh, you find you find such an interesting um, random shock here. So, as you said, in order in order to measure the effects of social media content, you're going to want to find random shocks to what people are posting online, and then you're going to want to test whether the people who see those posts behave differently. So, over the course of this paper, you're going to trace a causal chain in behavior across several sets of outcomes which is just very cool. Uh, and you don't see this very often in, in papers like this. Okay. So in the first step, you use unexpected outages at refineries, I think it was oil refineries across the US as a random shock to local air pollution. So tell us about these outages. Why do they happen? And why do they cause poor air quality? Sure. So oil refineries, they should operate every day if no outages. But in reality, they don't operate every day due to uh, two types of outages. So one type is called normal outages that are due to maintenance purpose. They are uh, well-prepared and carefully implemented. And the second type of outage is called the unplanned abnormal outage. So this is purely unexpected and usually very uh, dangerous and cause some problem. So here I focus on the pollution spikes. So why do they happen? Why do these unplanned outages happen? So there are three common reasons why this happened, which is observed in my data. So I have the detailed reason for these uh, unplanned outages. So the first reason is due to the failure or the accident inside the refinery plant itself. When there, there is some equipment failure, the plants has to be shut down. So that is uh, the one important reason for this unplanned outage. And the second reason is uh, due to failures outside the refinery plant, but along the oil supply chain in some upstream or downstream facilities, when there are some equipment failures, this refinery plant has to be shut down to ensure a smooth, production process along the oil supply chain. And the third reason is due to the uh, weather forecast, like hurricanes or other extreme weather events. When there are some extreme events uh, happening several days later, refinery workers will shut down the plants now to avoid some catastrophe, some bigger disasters. So the refineries, they, they, they to shut down these plants uh, due to this weather forecast. So these are the uh, three common reasons why these unplanned outages happen. And uh, why do they cause uh, bad air pollution problems? So it is a mechanical reason. 
So the first reason is due to some unintended leakage of oil vapor. So as I mentioned, it is an equipment failure. So without a careful control, these oil vapors, the gas phase of oil, may escape from the plant. So this oil vapor itself can be an air, pollut air pollutant. So it is the, the unintended leakage problem. Also, when some gas is not processed and the plant is not operating, the refinery workers may intentionally vent this gas to the surrounding atmosphere. So this intentional, intentional venting can cause air pollution. So this unintended leakage and intended venting both cause some air pollution. And the third reason is due to the uh, catalytic release. So it is similar to the unintended leakage of oil vapor, but it is a byproduct of this production process. So catalytic is a very important chemical that is added in the uh, production line. When the production process is running smoothly, the catalytics is controlled in this production line. But when the plant is suddenly stopped, this catalytics is released and also show up as air pollution. So these underlying mechanical reasons cause this pollution spikes during the unplanned outages. Okay, so you're able to measure this in the data. So what data do you use to measure the effects of these outages on air pollution? So I use uh, two satellite-based air pollution products to measure this unplanned outage uh, impact on air pollution. So the first satellite products is from NASA OMI. So OMI is short for Ozone Measuring Instrument. So specifically, I use NASA OMI's HCHO product, Fermahore product, to measure the uh, volatile organic compounds near the refinery plants. So volatile organic compounds, or VOC, is a group of organic chemicals. It's an important air pollution. It's also the gas phase of oil vapor. So that's the first product I use. The second product is also a satellite-based air pollution product. It is from MODIS aerosol optical depth. So it is similar to the uh, particular matters. It captures all size of uh, particles. So I use these two as my outcome variable. So apart from these remotely sensed satellite products, I also use the US EPA's air quality monitor data. Although the monitor data has some incomplete spatial coverage, also some uh, missing reports over time. I use that as some uh, robustness checks to make sure these remotely sensed products are valid. And both the satellite products and the monitor products give me uh, similar results. Air pollution increase a lot during the abnormal unplanned shutdown events. How big is that effect? What do you find is the when you estimate this? How big is the effect of the unexpected outage on local air pollution? So on each unplanned shutdown days, I find the local areas within a 20 kilometer of refinery plants observe an increase in volatile organic compounds by 7% and an increase in aerosol optical depth by 12%. So this is the magnitude. And if I uh, zoom into the uh, areas near refinery plants, I only use monitors within one kilometer of refinery plants. The increase in particle is as high as 70%. 
And if we consider the time, the effect happens on the same day of this abnormal shutdown and immediately get back to normal on the following day. Okay. And as listeners might know, there is previous research showing that air pollution causes an increase in violent crime. I interviewed Eric Muliger on the show a while back, and I'll post a link to that interview in the show notes. Um, And so as those listeners might be expecting, the next step in your causal chain is showing that the local shocks to air pollution affect local aggressive behavior, both online and offline. So what data do you use to measure online aggression? How do you code a tweet as aggressive? Yeah, so here I use a Twitter API to collect the tweets data. Uh, since I focus on the local areas, I use the refinery plants coordinates and a 20 kilometer radius to collect tweets. So I collect 25 million tweets in total within six years study period. So within these 25 million tweets, to code the aggressive tweets, I construct two machine learning based classifiers. One is called offensive, one is called richest. So how to do this supervised learning? So I ask Turk workers to manually label a random sample of these 25 million tweets. So I uh, randomized this, this sample and I use 1% of these 25 million tweets and I ask uh, these Turk workers to, to code them. So each tweet is flagged with offensive or not, racist or not, two separate columns. So after the labeling task is done, I use 70% of these labeled tweets to train these classifiers and the other 30% to test the model performance. And I end up with good uh, machine learning performance matrix like a precision recall rate F1 score. So these are uh, the performance matrix. And after these uh, classifiers are constructed, tested, I use them to predict the other 99% of the unlabeled tweets. So eventually I end up with 8% offensive tweets and 1% racist tweets out of these 25 million tweets written by local users in total. So that's how I code these online aggressive behavior. Okay. And so what do you find the effect of those unexpected refinery outages on local residents' online aggression. So here I find on the uh, unexpected refinery outage days uh, when we see pollution spikes, local uh, Twitter users are more likely to write offensive tweets by 24% on that day. And also uh, the number of racist tweets also increased by 30%. So 24% and 30% are the magnitude here. And the effect happens on the same day and immediately get back to normal. So the time pattern is similar to the pollution pattern. I also find uh, no change in the total number of tweets written by local users. So the effect is only about the quality of the tweets rather than the, the quantity. If I zoom into the tweet content, I find people are aggressive towards a lot of topics like anti-government, anti-foreigner, and the other gender groups tweets are all affected and the magnitude is quite similar. So people are aggressive in general, not towards some uh, specific subgroups or only complaining about the government of not regulating air pollution. 
Okay. So big effects, but again, in line with previous work, this is not surprising if you follow this literature, still remarkable. Uh, But uh, so then you turn to local offline behavior. So what data do you use to measure offline criminal behavior? Here, the primary data source I use is from the uh, US FBI's NIPRS data, National Incident-Based Reporting Systems data. So it is a nationwide event level data. So for each crime event, I observe the event location, time, the event type, and the race group of the victims. So this is the primary data source I use, and I collapse this event level data into the uh, county day count as the outcome variable. And I also use uh, 14 big cities, citywide 911 calls as a uh, complementary data and adding them together with the uh, national NIBRS data. So these are the, the data source I use to measure the offline criminal behaviors. Okay, so what is the effect of those unexpected refinery outages on local criminal behavior? So here I find on the abnormal unplanned outage days, the number of crimes in the uh, local areas in the refineries county increased by uh, 12%. If I uh, separate crime types, the effect is mainly driven by uh, person-related crimes. And again, it is a one-day effect and immediately get back to normal on the following day. Okay, so this is all very interesting and could be a paper all on its own. (laughs) But what you really want to know is how this sudden increase in local residents' aggressive Twitter posts affects the offline behavior of people who live far away when they see that content online. So essentially, the local residents post more angry things because they're affected by the local pollution. And you want to know what their followers do in the real world. And to do that, you need to know who is likely to see that content. You need a measure of how connected places are via social media. So how do you measure online social connectedness? Yes, so the primary measure I use is called Social Connectedness Index. It is uh, originally constructed by Facebook researchers. So these researchers use all the Facebook friendship links and calculate this county pair level connectedness index as the number of Facebook friends between two counties, like County I and J divided by the total number of Facebook users in I times that in J. So it is the likelihood of randomly picking two users in two counties. They happen to be friends on Facebook. So we know uh, Facebook is a widely used social media covering uh, over 70% of the U.S. population. So it is a representative online platform. So this is the primary measure of online friendship I use. Uh, So apart from the Facebook data, I also construct my own version of Twitter social connectedness index. So here I use my collected tweets in the uh, refinery plant surrounding areas. So among these 25 million tweets, I focus on the subset of the offensive tweets and racist tweets I coded in the previous step. And they're authors, so I call them bad authors. So I collect these bad authors' followers' information, and there are about uh, 1 million links between bad authors and their followers. And I uh, coded these links, and I construct a county pair-level 
Twitter as CI as a measure of online friendship. So these two measures are uh, what I use in my uh, later analysis, one from Facebook and one from my own tweets. And what do you find is the effect of those unexpected refinery outages and the resulting local air pollution on far away but socially connected areas' social media content? So here I find uh, in those remote and connected areas, we also see more aggressive tweets. So compared with unconnected areas, as the connectedness index uh, increases by one unit, the number of the uh, offensive tweets and reaches tweets in those uh, connected counties increases by three and 1%. So one unit here is equivalent to uh, three standard deviations or 48% as of the uh, local refinery counties within county connectedness level. And then what is the effect on those far away but socially connected areas' crime rates? So these areas' offline crimes also increase. So compared with counties with no online friends, as the connectedness index increases by one unit, the number of offline crimes increases by 4%. And the increase is true on the same day and also on the following day. And on lead day two or afterwards, the effect is no longer true. Okay. So how big are these non-local crime effects? So when you have the local outage, pollution spikes, people tweet lots of angry things online, and then far away, people commit crimes offline. How many additional crimes are committed because of those refinery outages? Right. So uh, previously, uh, what I described is to show a per unit increase in crime, when the connectedness index increases by one unit, which is not that easy to understand. So if I translate that into a a more easily understandable magnitude. So from my point estimate, on each abnormal shutdown day in the refinery county, the number of crime increases by four. So there are four more events due to this local refinery and plant outage. But in the non-local areas, the number of crime increases by 0.0005 in each county. But if we take the whole U.S. together, the increase is about 1.5 per day. So in other words, for each event, the local effect is about 4 per county day. And the non-local effect is about 1.5, taking the whole U.S. together on that day. So if we do a back-of-the-envelope calculation, due to each event, the non-local effect is about uh, 32% as of the uh, local effect near refineries. Okay. And it's bigger when you look across the whole U.S. because that's the per-county effect, but there are lots of counties. And so you add them all up and you get that 1.5. Yes, exactly. Okay, great. Okay. And so you do a bunch of robustness checks (laughs) to kick the tires on these various results. So maybe tell us about two or three of your favorite checks in the paper uh, and what they tell you. Sure. So here, the robustness check, the objective is to rule out some other non-social media channels where the local pollution shocks can also affect the faraway crimes. So the first robustness check is about the air pollution dispersion. So if the local pollution shocks, these pollutants can move to faraway areas. That could be a confounding channel. So to rule out this concern, I only use faraway counties 
their crimes as the outcome variables in my spillover analysis. So these counties are at least 150 kilometers away or farther from any refineries in the U.S. So this discount threshold is to make sure the commonly observed wind speed is impossible to blow that far away on the same abnormal outage day. So apart from imposing a distance threshold, I also do a placebo test by using air pollution in remote areas as the outcome variable, and I find zero. So local uh, refinery abnormal outage does not affect faraway air pollution. So that rules the air pollution dispersion channel. So that's one robustness check I did. So the second robustness check lies in the information spread. So if traditional media, like local newspapers, it reports this uh, refinery outage events or report local crimes, and this local newspaper is read by faraway readers, this information spread could be another confounding channel, and that can drive the faraway crime effect. So to rule out this concern, I use the market circulation data for each newspaper, I observe the number of subscribers at the uh, county level. So I construct a similar connectedness matrix between newspapers, headquarter county, and subscribers county. And adding that as an additional control, I find a strongly robust estimates on the uh, coefficient of interest. The effect is not affected with and without this additional control on this traditional media matrix. So this practice helps to rule out this traditional media information spread channel. So that's another robustness check. And the third check is about humans' physical movement or the potential dispersion of physical crimes. So here imposing a distant cutoff, like what I did for the air pollution dispersion, also helps to rule out this channel by restricting humans' uh, physical movement. But I uh, also add a similar uh, physical connection index as an additional control by using the census migration flow data between counties. And again, I find very similar estimates on the coefficient of interest with and without this physical movement controlled. So that is a third robustness check I did to attribute this remote crime effect to online social media. Okay. So what are the policy implications of these results? What should policymakers and practitioners who are listening take away from your study? There are two big policy implications. One is about social media and another one is about environmental policy. So on the social media side, my paper confirms that social media content is indeed causing violence in the real world. So one big implication here is the content diffusion or the uh, popularity penalization of this aggressive content. So currently, if we open uh, Twitter or even Google, these search engines and social media platforms, they are able to uh, order and rank the results displayed on their uh, pages and feeds. So this content diffusion algorithm is very powerful. It is determining what we read, what we are very likely to share. So the algorithm is very good at predicting what we want to see, but they rarely differentiate what is propaganda and what is not, what is aggressive or what is fake news. 
So to make this uh, matters worse, usually the inflammatory or uh, controversial content receives more reactions, more comments, and it is likely to be amplified by this engagement-based diffusion algorithm. So we need some improvement transparency in this underlying algorithm of content diffusion for uh, these social media platforms. Also, uh, for uh, as social media users, we should be cautious of our behaviors online to contribute to a healthy online environment. So I think that's uh, one big implication on the social media side. So another policy implication is on the environment side. So as an environmental economist, I usually talk about uh, correcting externalities and maybe taxing the uh, polluters to ask them to internalize the externalities. So here, what I want to emphasize is that pollution not only generates some local externalities, but also non-local externalities. So our uh, currently used emission tax may be too low if we consider this geographical spillover. So what I identify here, recall the estimates. So the non-local effect is about 30% as of the local effect. And if we, if we consider the transboundary problem, because we also have some foreign friends online, that can be even bigger. So given my findings, the environmental policymakers should consider uh, regulating polluters by considering both local and non-local externalities. Yeah. So because of social media, we're all much more connected mm-hmm. than we used to be, which means that pollution has a much farther reach than it would, or just like the, where the wind can blow the pollution. It's affecting people who don't, who aren't directly affected by the pollution just because they see, they interact with people online. Yeah. Super interesting. Have any other papers related to this topic come out since you first started working on this study? Yes, so I find uh, several really interesting and important papers that come out recently. So here I would like to highlight two very important papers. So one is about the uh, social media toxic content's impact on social media content consumption. So consumption here is captured by uh, the time spent on social media. So this is a working paper uh, written by uh, a PhD student at Columbia University, uh, my my home university, and also uh, his co-authors. So they use an experiment. They reduce toxic content for the treatment group on Facebook. And they find these treated users have a decrease in the amount of time spent on Facebook. So the amount of time browsing the content on Facebook. So I find this conclusion quite striking because that suggests a trade-off faced by the platforms. So they can either regulate this toxic content or they really want to maintain the user activities and the time the users spend browsing these platforms. So I find this very interesting. So regulating toxic content on social media can decrease the content consumption. That's one important paper. Another paper is about uh, Facebook and U.S. college students' mental health and academic performance. So the researchers uh, used the rollout of the uh, Facebook in uh, U.S. college, and they find this uh, introduction of Facebook causes negative effects on the students' mental health and also their academic performance. 
again, it's more about the adoption of social media rather than its uh, content or the open post quality. But these studies uh, together with some other new papers in this umbrella are very exciting and important and they contribute to our understanding of the uh, real world effect of social media. And what's the research frontier? What are the next big questions in this area that you and others will be thinking about going forward? Uh, so I'm very interested in this area and I'm passionate about the intersection between uh, social media and environmental topic. So I am currently working on two big projects under this topic. One is to understand the uh, environmental protest, like the uh, climate protest, to understand their uh, cause, consequence, and the social media's role in these protest events, whether the social media amplifies its impact or make some violent protests more influential and even have some backfire effect on the general public's climate action. So that's one uh, project I'm working on. The second one I'm working on is about how uh, social media affects people's adaptation to some environmental events. When there are some uh, natural disasters or some pollution accidents, social media or media narratives can affect people's avoidance or adaptation activities. So I want to uh, quantify this, this effect of social media. So these two are the ongoing works I'm actively working on. Great. My guest today has been Xinming Du from the National University of Singapore. Xinming, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you. Thanks for these uh, great questions. I really enjoyed this conversation. You can find links to all the research we discussed today on our website, probablecausation.com. You can also subscribe to the show there or wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Big thanks to Emergent Ventures and our other contributors for supporting the show. Probable Causation is produced by Doliac Initiatives, a 501c3 nonprofit. If you enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. This helps others find the show, which we very much appreciate. Our sound engineer is John Kerr with production assistance from Nefertari El-Sheikh. Our music is by Werner and our logo was designed by Carrie Throckmorton. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you soon.